Fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about denying genocide with my friend Vienno. Fuck, this is going to be a rough one, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I feel like it's been uh, blunted by the impact about some of our last few episodes, but uh, I mean, it's it's just a continuation of their general shittiness, I guess. Yeah. How are you, Vienno? <laughs> I am feeling aerodynamic. I cut off all my hair today, <laughs> or I got my sister to cut off all my hair today, and it's, whoo, I'm feeling zippy, like. Yeah, it looks nice, and it looks lightning, like a load has been lightened. It used to be like six inches below my shoulders, and now it's like gone, and it's like, whoa, I I can feel the wind in my scalp, because yeah. it's <laughs> gone. <laughs> Because there's literally nothing between all that's your there. scalp and the wind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, how are you? I'm good. I, I'm feeling better now that once we're done recording this, I'm pretty much on vacation for a few days. I'm going to go into the woods and forget about reality. <laughs> Damn. Uh, Sounds ideal. So, yeah, so that'll be nice. And then... Uh, Get to come back and uh, do more of this when I get back. I got a ton of uh, catching up to do with editing and all that fun stuff, but we will eventually catch up and it'll be all good. Mm-hmm. But for now, we'll just get right to it. This is the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on The Rebel from June 28th to July 2nd. Liberal MP Catherine McKenna is deciding not to run for re-election, and Ezra decides to cover everything he hates about her. He brings up that silly, uh, eating dog story, calls her a climate Barbie, brings up the conspiracy theory that McKenna got Sheila Gunn-Reed banned from the UN, and plays that out-of-context clip about her joking with some comedians about politicians lying. Ezra then says she is a failure even by her own metrics, considering that CO2 emissions have increased to more than when she was first elected. And to be honest, with that last point, I can't really argue with him. Ezra praises Josh Hawley, a Republican congressman for advocating putting Canada on a watch list because of the jailing of several pastors. For effect, Ezra plays on repeat a clip of one of the pastors being arrested while his children cry. This is an attempt to tug at his audience's heartstrings, but the pastor could have simply followed the COVID restrictions. So it isn't really that upsetting. Former Prime Minister Stephen Harper's son, Ben, who works for Jason Kenney, is mad at Ezra for his attacks on the Alberta government. He asks Ezra to show some class. Ezra responds to this by going on a tirade about how he knew his parents and how they came from meager beginnings and that somehow now Ben is too high class. While Ezra is somehow working class now? (laughs) I think that both Ben and Ezra suck, so I don't really have a stake in this argument. Janine Eunice, the quote-unquote leftist, 
who works for Koch-funded organizations that deny climate change, promote sweatshops, and thinks the severity of COVID is a hoax, is on to tell Ezra why she left the left. Eunice, who is obviously a total leftist, tells Ezra that the Me Too movement went too far. She also says that she will not be taking the COVID vaccine because she already had COVID. (laughs) Even though the science indicates that natural infection does not confer as robust an immunity as the vaccines. Ezra also fearmongers about how the government is allowing people to mix and match vaccines, and calls this scary and absurd, even though the evidence suggests this is safe and effective. Ezra talks to David Menzies about a protest in front of a woman's prison, where transphobes were protesting against trans women being allowed into women's prisons. Ezra's evidence for why this is a problem is because he saw something like this in a South Park episode. I'm just going to throw in a really quick clip. This is from South Park, which is one of the funniest cartoons on uh, on TV. It's an adult cartoon. This was meant as a joke a few years ago. Mm. It's not even a joke anymore. It's Randy the Macho Man Savage <laughs> identifying as a woman in a strong, <laughs> strong woman. Look at this. David Menzies then laughs and says his kids also watch a lot of South Park. Ezra, I didn't know you were going to throw to that clip. Several months ago, my sons, who are huge South Park fans, said, Dad, you have to watch this episode with us. We'll watch it again. And when South Park is on, I agree. When they're on, they are they are supernova. <laughs> yeah. And um, I sat through this, and I did not laugh once, m- much to the sh- surprise and chagrin of my sons. And I said, guys, this is, n- this is not parody anymore. This is reality. Yeah. That is so on brand. Oh, my God. Ezra fearmongers about trans women committing sexual assault in women's prison. What is never mentioned, and what might be relevant, is why are people assaulting other people in prisons in the first place? This seems to be a prison problem and not a trans problem. Menzies then asks out loud, I don't know why more men aren't scamming the system. Let's be frank. Men behind bars without female company, they have their urges, especially, God forbid, if they're a rapist or committed some other sexual assault. This is a utopia being allowed in. It's bringing the lion into the lambs, if you will. And you're right, at the prison, the physical prison itself, things are nicer in a, a woman's facility than, than a male facility. For the life of me, I don't even know why more men are not scamming the system. Which suggests that David thinks that men are just natural predators. I wonder what he thinks about himself. And that is the week. So for the main segment this week, we're going to talk mainly about the, I guess, recent updates on the ongoing genocide in this country uh, against indigenous people. For those, I mean, it should be obvious by now, we've already talked about it on the show, but there were mass graves, masked, mass unmarked graves found at uh, residential schools across this country. Several have been found at this point. Uh, I don't even know what the, the total keeps increasing. I saw another story today that there's uh, more bodies being found. So it's, it's going to keep increasing, right? But... I guess because it's a current event, uh, it, it's become so, uh, in it, we're being inundated with it in the news that Ezra wants to talk about it, right? I mean, I don't see a problem with us being inundated with it, but uh, of course it just means that now Ezra is going to have to talk about it, which sucks, but at the same time we're, we're going to have to cover it because that's the only thing he pretty much talked about this entire week. So it is what it is. Mm-hmm. It is going to take sort of like 
three sort of main segments. So like the the first little bit we're going to talk about is him trying to somehow compare and contrast with the Uyghur genocide. The other issue is he interviews someone named Aaron Gunn, and we'll get to that uh, in a bit. And then we'll end with just him going on rants the entire week about various aspects of what's happening. And it might be a bit repetitive, and uh, I don't know how much detail we're going to get into, but I guess it's it's good just sort of like showing the, the thought process that he's feeding to his audience, which is uh, not great. So, but we'll we'll hit those points as we go through it, obviously. Okay, sounds good. So the first bit about the the anti-China stuff is very weird. So Ezra is mad at first uh, because a judge who used to be on Canada's Supreme Court came out and referred to the treatment of indigenous people as a genocide. And Ezra then criticizes her for not also calling what China does to Uyghurs a genocide. Beverly McLaughlin condemned Canada as genocidal, but she hasn't said as much about China itself either what they did in Xinjiang to the Muslim Uyghur minority or what they're doing in real time in Hong Kong? Is she really that compromised? Or is she just like her friend Justin Trudeau? Is communist China just a place she really admires? And the first thing I thought was like, for one, why do we care about this one random judge who's not a judge anymore? And then secondly, I I don't know really who this person is to like follow up and make sure that she hasn't made a statement about the Uyghur genocide. <laughs> it just seems like a weird fucking accusation. It's one of those, like, oh, you can't criticize Israel because that's, you know, why are you only criticizing Israel? Why aren't you criticizing Saudi or Syria or Iran or blah, 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 as if, like, you can't say a specific thing about one specific country because there are other bad things that happen in the world. Like, it's a very shut-down criticism type of argument. Yeah, there is a lot of, like, whataboutism. The, the other part of it, though, is, like, a weird sort of, like, foreign policy issue. And we'll get to it in a second. Because the next thing that he wants to talk about is we have a senator, basically, who's Chinese-Canadian. And I guess he's one of the top senators, if you understand how our Senate system works. And he plays a clip of him talking about the democratic legitimacy of China. As political theorists will remind us, there are two kinds of state legitimacy. There's input legitimacy and there's output legitimacy. In the West, we tend to place much more emphasis on input legitimacy, which is essentially about how we select our representatives. Hence our focus, rightly so, on free and fair elections. But in practice, citizens also confer legitimacy to the governments based on the results that are produced by that government. That is to say, on outputs. Now, like most of you, I was brought up in the orthodoxy that input democracy through free and fair elections will in the long run outperform because citizens can always vote out a government that has not performed and in that way seek to improve outputs by changing the inputs. But we are learning the hard way that democratic elections and changes in government over decades have not consistently produced better outcomes for citizens in many industrialized economies. Sure, there has been economic growth, but income and wealth inequality have increased, 
with stagnating median incomes and growing societal tension. That is the reason for what is now widely observed to be the problem of a democratic deficit in some Western industrialized economies and the rise of populist leaders who have illiberal instincts, but nevertheless command much support through democratic elections. Let me be clear. I much prefer the vagaries of democratic choice to the certainty of authoritarian rule. But we cannot be smug about our preference for input legitimacy as the only way to validate state power. And we cannot deny that the Chinese state has its own claim to a kind of legitimacy, even if we don't like it. <laughs> and that was just a short excerpt. But because these are just like statements of fact about like the reality like Ezra is mad at that mad at that because I guess like the way Ezra perceives it is that he needs to be out there going this is a genocide and we need to like attack the Chinese right <laughs> we must balkanize China and there's like an, an added xenophobia in that this person is a Chinese Canadian and so there's like implications that somehow he's connected with the Chinese government in some capacity. And so there's like gross xenophobia there as well. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that that then leads into like discussions of the fact that like China is calling what China is calling what we did in Canada, a genocide to the indigenous people. And he says that when our leaders refer to it as a genocide, it is weak. And then China will take advantage. And I find this like a weird argument in part because, like, I feel like our position is weakened when we deny our own genocide. Because we then, in dealing with China and whatever genocides they're committing, we almost don't have a leg to stand on because we're denying our own genocide, right? Yeah. I mean, and we don't have a leg to stand on regardless because we are committing our own genocide. And for, like, very similar reasons and purposes, like, the main impetus behind the genocide of the Uyghurs is because they live in like one one of the most oil rich areas of China and also are like directly in the way of the um the Belt and Road Initiative and so like having a populace that like is not super like friendly to impositions on their own autonomy is a like threat to a centralized state and similarly in canada like having indigenous people not confined to reserves is a threat to resource extraction in the oil sands in like blocking pipelines in forestry in uranium mining in like all the things that make up what Canada as a nation is are threatened if we allow Indigenous people autonomy. And the answer isn't, like, the good thing to do is not to deny them the autonomy. It's to stop the fucking bullshit resource extraction. Like, No, exactly. I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. It's the, it, to me, it's the amazement is what, like, why they think the opposite strategy is good. So, like, to them, the opposite strategy is to completely deny that what we're doing and what we have done is a genocide, and that somehow that makes us weak and then China wins. But, like, I don't even follow that 
argument on its own terms. You know what I mean? It's like, what if, like, if we all collectively as a society, as a society, realize that we're committing this genocide and we should stop doing various things, we don't all of a sudden get taken over by China. Like, <laughs> just... Especially framing it in terms of, like, weakness. Like, what what makes us weak about that other than, like, expressing basic facts about reality? I think that he would probably be fine if it were a proud thing. If we were saying, yes, we did and are committing genocide against indigenous people. And that's something that should continue. I think it would be like, oh, you know, maybe blah, blah, blah. But, like, he, would, he wouldn't have nearly as much it's about of an objection to it. Yeah. Cause it's like it's like we're not we're not flexing our muscles in the right way to like scare China, right? When it's like, why do we why do we need to do that? I mean, especially considering that wars are not really fought with ground troops anymore. So like, who? It's not like our forces are going to meet their forces on the battlefield and need to show off their like extreme masculine strength or whatever fucking war fantasies that Ezra has. It'll be fought behind computer screens with drones, right? No, I think we should just, like, take the hundred strongest guys in every country and just, like, <laughs> face them off against one another, and they just have to, like, flex in each other's faces, and whoever, like, sta- can stay standing the longest. They don't have to exchange blows, nothing. They just have to, like, flex super, super hard. And whoever's ha- last man standing, boom. One, he wins the war. Two, new emperor. Done. So then we get into this interview with this guy named Aaron Gunn. And as far as I can tell, I don't think he's related to Sheila Gunn-Reed. Although he might be. Aaron is on initially to, I guess, talk about statues and changing city names, which for people who've listened to previous episodes, this is becoming a similar theme throughout, which is like, what if they tear down this statues? Are they going to have to tear down these statues? And if they change this name, are we going to have to change all city names? Because, like, they might have some connection to something. And, geez, if everything changes, what will what will happen to society? <laughs> this is uh, pretty much all their content has been for a while. So, uh... <laughs> ah, <laughs> we must give the land back and return it to its original owners and change all the names back to what they were called before the colonizers come here. You are right, Ezra and Sheila and whoever else. The One of the first things that Aaron says after they sort of briefly frame the whole discussion around the statues and stuff is that... I think Canadians need to wake up to the fact that this is happening and that it's dangerous because if we start tearing down our shared history and our shared culture... Um, that's what really holds us together as a country. I wanted to frame that because for one, that sounds incoherent, but I feel like he was going to be, he's like, if we start tearing down our shared history and our shared culture, I'd be like, well, what does that lead to then? But then his, his statement is that it's what held us together. So I guess he fears that if we get rid of our shared history and culture, that somehow like us as a nation will just disappear or something like this. And uh, as we've stated on a show already, like we're cool with that. Like who cares? <laughs> It'd be so nice. They then get into this. And this, this is another uh, frequent discussion that pops up on the right whenever they have to discuss this shit, which is that you can't judge the past through the morality of the present. 
Well, and you can't judge the, the past through the morality of the present. Otherwise, every culture in society will fail, even Jesus, even Moses. True. He's right. I mean, he is right, but it's like, who who cares? I mean, like, there's a, there's some differences in that. There's, like, a certain kind of space, but also, like... I mean, I don't know that, like, Jesus didn't colonize anyone, you know what I mean? And, like, we're not praising him as the person who did any colonizing, you know what I mean? I guess, I guess the difference would be in, like, because, you know, as a religious person who, like, does think those dudes were prophets and, like, cool dudes, I guess there's a difference between, like, those people as people and prophets versus the conception of them that lives in the rebel media sphere's mind like the jesus of rebel news is a real shithead because look at all the stuff that they use like christianity to justify type of thing oh if there's any statues of white jesus we should definitely take them down <laughs> yeah white jesus gotta go that's why i cut off all my hair yeah <laughs> Uh, uh, that was a joke because I was bullied by a bunch of teenage girls while on my bike when I had long hair and a beard, and they said, hey, look, it's Jesus, um, just for the listeners. What you should have done is, like, just pulled out a bunch of wine and, like, bread loaves and then run away. <laughs> I just wanted to go get ice cream, okay? I was just biking to the ice cream store. <laughs> Let there be ice cream? Exactly. I might get some ice cream after we're done recording. Hell yeah. Sadly, instead of ice cream, we get more genocide denial. <laughs> how do I? How do I? How do I segue off of that? Yep, you got it. You stuck the landing. Keep going. <laughs> so then, Ezra says the same thing that he said in the earlier segment, which is that by saying we've committed a genocide, uh, it hurts our moral authority when dealing with China. And Gunn says, It'd be hard-pressed to find another case in, in world history where a country has so viciously attacked itself with these repeated rounds of, of self-flagellation than what's been happening here in Canada. You're right, it's undermined our moral authority abroad. China's laughing at us. Like I, like, I don't know what it is in their minds, but it's like merely acknowledging something from our past or present to them is a kind of self-flagellation and it's like i don't know i see it less as self-flagellation and more like it would be moral improvement or moral self-reflection which is good generally you want people to self-reflect on the things that they've done i mean i think the easiest counter is aaron there are places with civil war like he would be hard-pressed to find another country that has attacked itself? Huh. <laughs> hmm. There are countries currently doing that right now. <laughs> like, Or even, like, their favorite country, America, had a civil fucking war. On the verge of the next one. Yeah. Over issues they still haven't fully resolved, and they haven't gone through this quote-unquote self-flagellation problem, and therefore are probably going to have a second one, you know? But of course, uh, you know, us us not admitting it has uh, undermined, or us us uh, having a leader that shows up at uh, a vigil for a Muslim family that was murdered to say that racism is real. These kind of things undermine our authority abroad. 
we continue to draw bizarrely false equivalencies with some of the mistakes we made in our past with the truly horrific things that have happened in world history. Um, let, you know, talk about the Cultural Revolution in China, uh, the, the Holocaust, all these other real genocides that have happened. Is he calling the Cultural Revolution a genocide? Yeah, the Cultural Revolution is identical to the Holocaust, and those are both real genocides, but what uh, happened to the indigenous people in our country was not a genocide, see? Didn't you know that? What the fuck? <laughs> I mean, there's an element to here which, like, there's, like, little to say in that, I don't know, we don't need to have, like, a genocide competition, you know? That what, what counts and what doesn't by, like, like honing too close like the fact that what we did pretty much fits the definition or, or what canada did uh pretty much fits uh fits and still fits the definition of genocide should be worrying but uh of course the holocaust uh, always fits the what they think in their highness the quintessential or essential uh uh genocide that being said the cultural revolution thing uh, at least from my understanding it wasn't necessarily a genocide even though some could argue it led to, to some people dying, but I, I personally have not seen it referred to as a genocide, which I thought was very weird. Yeah, but also just, like, on the notes of all these real genocides that did happen, like, you guys are adjacent to Holocaust deniers. Like, do they not get that genocide denial is a thing? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, speaking of that, I do want to comment that he goes on uh, Alex Jones's show all the time. Alex Jones now hosts Nick Fuentes, who is an open anti-Semite and has uh, had genocide denial on his program that used to be on YouTube. So, And Ezra goes on Alex Jones's show, even though Alex platforms this dude, you know? But it, I, I do like the fact that you mentioned that they mentioned also the Cultural Revolution, and he says all these real genocides, and I'm not even sure that the Cultural Revolution is a real genocide. Yeah. I mean, we can argue about whether it was bad, all those things. It's just, it's funny how, like, he lists something that's not a real genocide while denying a real genocide, you know? So dumb. It's so dumb. Gunn then redirects uh, the conversation to the burning of the churches. So for those who don't know, there's been several Catholic churches that have been the victims of arson. And although we have not determined who set the fires, many people have speculated that this has been indigenous people or people who support indigenous people who are doing this in some capacity. And uh, I guess we, we don't need to speculate to that degree, but... The fact is they like to fear monger uh, about the fact that these churches are, are burning. And so Gunn says that we have a serious problem with the radical left in this country, referring to these churches burning, even though we don't know who is doing it, let alone that these people are radically left. They could just be people who had family or themselves suffered through the residential school system they know the Roman Catholic Church is refusing to apologize for what they did, and they are expressing their trauma by burning down their churches. That seems to me like a pretty uh, coherent explanation without referring to some sort of like mystical, radical leftist who's committing all these arsons. Here in British Columbia, and again in Edmonton today, 
They're lighting churches on fire. Yeah. They've burned down five churches to the ground, and there's been barely a word from our politicians. You think it's maybe time that we acknowledge and point out the obvious that we have a serious problem with the radical left in this country? Yeah. Good on you, radical left. Keep, good, keep doing it. Become a bigger problem. Ezra then says most people don't want to cancel Canada Day and that new immigrants to Canada love Canada. Severely normal Canadians aren't buying it. I see in a poll, most Canadians don't want to cancel Canada Day. Um, we talk to people all the time, what we call them streeters. We just do man on the street interviews. I find that new immigrants to Canada, they love Canada, that's why they came here. They just came here from somewhere presumably not as good. So they're not into this disparaged Canada thing. And to that, it's like tons of people come here from places they love all the time. Usually some places can be good until they're not good for a moment. Just like, you know, we we are susceptible to becoming not good to some people at some moment. And it's just like, again, it's it's this kind of like... It's the same language with America that like, we're the places that are just so perfect and everybody wants to come here. And then they come here and our conservatives make treat them like shit. So, Also, like, I don't know that most people don't want to cancel Canada Day. I mean, we had 10,000 people in our city alone show up to a cancel Canada Day event. Ezra then, he's on this, like, I'm working class kick. I, I mentioned in the Ugh. news segment that he got mad at Ben Harper, who was our two prime ministers ago son. And Ezra goes, so I think the hope, as Orwell would say, is with the proles. The hope is with ordinary people. It's the luxury class that has the time and money to sit around and engage in these, you know, uh, abstract debates about a perfect utopia. And of course, we don't match up. I think they're the ones who hate Canada the most. I think severely normal people realize we're in one of the best countries. I don't think you could ask any of these critics so where would you rather live? I don't think any of them actually know of a place they'd rather go. Utopia means impossible place. There is no perfect place. God, that's, that's a really weird way to go about it. The luxury class. This is like similar rhetoric with all this like critical race theory stuff is that like all the elites in their towers, they're the ones who just sit there pontificating about like structural racism and all the normies in the streets are just like, why are you being all like annoying? Like, leave us alone. We're severely normal out here. Uh, we don't need all your intersectionality bullshit when it's like, I don't know, I, I would classify myself as lower class, working class, uh, I, in my union work, I worked with a lot of union people who were all uh, cool with intersectionality. You know what I mean? Like it, but this is, of course, Ezra, who's definitely not working class, speculating about working class people and what they think, because Ezra has in his head like an image of a working class person, and it's someone with like an orange vest and is gruff and is like... Yeah, I, I pave roads for a living. <laughs> I don't have time to think about no intellect stuff. All I think about is beer and women. Southern Ontario will rise again. Yeah. 
But like in a way, like he he himself has like a false perception of what an ordinary person is. You know what I mean? Because those people are few and far between, and they tend to be conservatives, and they're not like. If anything, they're becoming the new middle class. Like, people who work construction and stuff like this are making way more than people who have to work at grocery stores or, uh, you know. Yeah, no, like, it's a conversation that I've had with people before where it's like, you know, I've worked service jobs only, pretty much. Like, food service and retail is, and that's it. And it's like, you know, I've had this had to have that conversation with people where it's like, oh, like, you know, regular working class people wouldn't really get this. And it's like, no, like when I talk to my coworkers about this shit, they're a lot more receptive than like middle class people that I talk to about this stuff, because middle class people want to protect what they have at the expense of anybody else. Retail workers are aware that it's all fucking bullshit and it all sucks because it does suck for them. Like... It's so much easier to like explain things to people who are already struggling because they understand struggle. Yeah, it's just very this sort of rhetoric is very frustrating and very like off. I mean, but it's coming from someone who clearly is not lower or working class, but he definitely likes to pretend he is. Mm-hmm. Gunn then proposes there's another group of people that knows what they are doing. There are some of these people that you mentioned, Ezra, that have all this time on their hands that are completely deluded with reality and jumping on this bandwagon. But I think there is another group of people, an even smaller group of people, that know exactly what they're doing, that are purposely undermining the history and institutions and the stories we tell ourselves in this country because they want to almost soften the ground before they make their push to really radically transform and, and tear down our institutions. And I think that is a political motivation. And I think they know what they're doing. They know they're spreading misinformation. They know they're taking things out of context, but they're doing so with a political purpose. And I think that makes them all the more dangerous. I think you're very, very right on that. And I want to know who are they? <laughs> what God is suggesting here? Yeah, triple parentheses, they type stuff. Like It's also like, again, I keep bringing it back to neo-reactionary, but this is the same language. They're taking over our cultural institutions. They want to change our culture. It's the same language and rhetoric. And it's, uh, you know, just lovely that Ezra talks to these people. Woohoo. Love the rise of fascism what a wonderful time to be alive ezra talks about how the liberal party used to be so patriotic but now it has changed i mean you can go back two generations to when the flag the country's flag they called it the pearson pennant because it so resembled the liberal colors and under the Cretchen administration um the flag was sort of proof of liberal largesse Uh, The sponsorship scandal in Quebec was basically the federal government flooding money into the province to buy the hearts and minds of Quebecers so they didn't vote to separate. It was sort of a panic move. And where you saw a Canadian flag, you saw money, vote liberal. Uh, You know, as a right winger growing up in in Alberta, I resented the fact they were co-opting the symbols of patriotism. But it was, you got to admit, it's pretty smart. Here we are, not too many years later, And Justin Trudeau 
is commanding that the federal, you know, the, the, the flag on the peace uh, tower of parliament fly at half mast. He's ripping Johnny McDonald off the $10 bill. The liberal party itself sounds like it's rejecting at least the symbols of Canada, if not Canada itself. I just find it remarkable. And I, I don't know that it has changed. <laughs> I don't see, you know, it would be nice if, like, Justin Trudeau comes out and is like, Abolish Canada! <laughs> Burn all pipelines to the ground! <laughs> I wish. I really wish. And if, then Gunn says everything before 1970s is what we have to apologize for. And I was like, you know, I think we should apologize for the 80s, too. Like, fuck Brian Mulroney, you know? <laughs> why do, why stop the 70s arbitrarily? <laughs> we got a lot to apologize for. We can apologize for things right up to today, to be honest. Yeah. And, like, the 10 years of Harper? None of that? No mention? Like... Then Gunn said something that was really silly. Look, there's a group of people within the Liberal Party, a large group of people, and in the political left more generally, that basically want the country's history to start in, in 1970 or whenever Pierre Trudeau was first elected and think everything else before that has to be recanted and, and apologized for. And I think that's outrageous because, I mean, this country, this is a country that was formed in the battlefields of Vimy Ridge on the beaches of Juneau that came together in confederation through process of negotiation and compromise, unlike probably any other country in the world. And what I find really funny about that is he's talking about a country being formed, but describing battles that occurred not on this country or in this country. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with him that much there because that is like like those are huge parts of the like canadian mythology is like oh wow we sure did good in world war one that we totally had a reason to be fighting in and oh wow we sure did good in world war two kind of same but like at least that one like okay we were fighting the nazis that one's fine but it is also kind of like i don't know like fighting in world war two is like one of the only okay things that canada has ever done <laughs> like so no shit it's overemphasized in like all the national mythology is like yeah we helped beat the nazis and it's like okay sure you fought on one beach there's just like elements of like weirdness considering that like the country itself was founded several decades before vimy ridge and all this and it's just like our our not what so like our our formation, our natural mythos was formed because we helped imperial powers across the ocean do stuff. There's just like a, an element of it that I just find rather silly for these like ultra-nationalists ultra and isolationists to be tying their mythos to like international conflicts, you know? Yeah. I don't know. There is also like, it's often like we talk about how like, oh, you know, confederation 1867 blah 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 we weren't independent or anything then still so it's not like we had a choice for world war one because we were still a british colony like it was like we didn't have any control over our own, our own foreign relations until the 1930s which was why like it was a big deal in world war ii that we got to declare war like two days after britain did we were like ah, actually we're gonna we're gonna wait for a little bit we're still gonna come but like we're doing it on our terms this time. So it's like, you know, had the country quote unquote formed by then or was it just that 
the settlers had a little bit more home rule type of thing. Like, we were just a self-governed colony. It's not, I mean, arguably we still are, but like... Yeah, I know. I was going to say, we still have the queen plastered over everything still. Yeah. But, you know, she's the queen of Canada now, not just the queen of the British Empire, which she was until the 30s. Like, I don't know. Like, there is so much about, like, the mythology of Canada where it is, like, it's so... It's such obvious bullshit the second you look into it at all. Where it's like, we have this founding mythos of 1867, where it's like, no. The British were just like, okay, yeah, this seems like an easier method of governance for us. We don't have to interfere with a bunch of colonies. We just have to interfere with one. Like... It's such bullshit. This can't, This country is nothing. It is just, like, so obviously, like, a cardboard drawing of a building and pretending to be a building itself. Like, Yeah, but Gunn, Gunn then says, like, like we're, we're different than every other country because we came together through a process of compromise and negotiation unlike any other country in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Red River Rebellion. Who is that? There, there's an element in which he could be saying that, like, yes, there is no other Canada in the world, so only Canada, we're the only Canada that came where people were negotiating things. Uh, and as you pointed out, it wasn't just negotiation and compromise, there was also bloodshed and other shit, but, but sure, like, let's just, maybe he's just saying there's only one of us but it seems like he's saying that no other country in the world formed through any process of negotiation or compromise yeah it's just so so confusing and silly like nationalists are the are fucking weird they're just fucking weird people and yeah of course he goes undermining this country's symbols is dangerous because you know once once that once you uh, burn the flag, the whole country just crumbles to the ground, just like that. Yep. It's well known that before we picked the maple leaf flag in what, the 1960s or 70s? You know, this country was just constantly, like, on the verge of explosion. Like, And uh, to, to finish up the gun bit, uh, Aaron Gunn, he might run for leadership of the BC Liberals, so there you go. That sounds about right. That... That's very on brand for them. Yeah. <laughs> for those who don't know, BC Liberals are basically conservatives. Uh, and the NDP are basically liberals. It just shifted all. They don't have a conservative party. They do have a conservative party. It's just fucking, like, batshit far right. Do they even have any seats? No. No, like, they are that crazy. No, because out west all had the Socreds before the conservatives really showed up even. The social credit parties. So after the gun interview, we then get into, like, a bunch of, like, random talking points. And so we'll probably go through this a bit more, like, faster. But, uh, because some of them, there's not much to say. But basically, Ezra starts by saying that uh, he's mad at uh, Trudeau because Trudeau lowered the flag uh, to half-mast on Canada Day. And Ezra, like, like snootily was like... Justin Trudeau uh, ordered the flag to be at half-mast on Parliament Hill today for Canada Day. Was it out of solidarity with the half dozen plus churches that have been torched in the last week, a national crime wave of hate crimes and arson? I'm kidding, of course not. He hasn't even said a word about it. The flag is at half-mast, not because of this 
Kristallnacht of churches, but because of unmarked graves at various former Indian residential schools in Canada. Lowering the flag is also just like the lowest of gestures that Trudeau could do. I mean, he what he could do is stop the legal suits he's still fighting in courts against Indigenous children, but that would be a better gesture. Yeah, I'm just... I hate Trudeau so much. Ezra then uh, refers to the church's burning as uh, Kristallnacht. For those who don't know, Kristallnacht is what happened in Germany, which was sort of a lead-up to the Holocaust. I think... It happened before the outbreak of World War II, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it happened like spring 39, I think. And it was basically the German population who were receiving all the propaganda about uh, the Jews being a problem. Uh, A bunch of German citizens took it into their own hands to destroy shop fronts and uh, basically ruin Jewish businesses and chase them out and all this, right? it was the crystal knock translates to broken glass or the night of the broken glass or something like this. But a lot of people like associate that with like the German party actually like starting the Holocaust, but uh, in terms of actually like fomenting this, but in a weird way, the Holocaust was a sort of like in, in a way, a reaction to what happened during Kristallnacht because then they initiated policies like having Jews wear Stars of David and stuff like this. And it was a way of like further segregating and isolating Jews, but as a way to appease the more like violent members of their society and and sort of like ameliorate the concerns of more like uh, liberals or conservatives who are like, well, like, I, you know, I don't like the Jews either, but like, I don't like us destroying the shop fronts and getting all like angry about it. So it was like a way of like appeasing people, right? And those policies then led uh, to the Holocaust. Also, my bad, it was um, November 38, not spring 39, before anybody gets annoyed listening. I want to know why Ezra thinks that what's happening to these Catholic churches, why this is similar. Because it's not like like Germans were killing Jews on that day and were destroying Jewish businesses and were doing it because they thought there was something evil about Jewish people. I don't necessarily think that whoever's committing these uh, arsons on these churches think that Catholics themselves are bad people. They're probably definitely mad at the Catholic Church generally for their uh, complicity in what happened during the residential school system and the fact that the current pope refuses uh, to respond to it appropriately. And also uh, Catholic clergy members within our own country are refusing to apologize or have even said things that have been quite disgusting by like, ah, oh, we did nothing wrong. Or like, these were great schools and stuff like this, right? So, you know, this is not the equivalent of there being a national propaganda campaign riling up our nationalistic base to go hate the Catholics and then burn their businesses. They're just not the same thing. Yeah, no, like they're not comparable in literally any way. And I want to remind everyone, too, that Ezra is Jewish and has frequently on the show when we've covered him complained about other people referring to or comparing something related to the Holocaust. And yet he repeatedly 
compares things to the Holocaust that are in no way comparable. But when he does so, he always has the caveat that I'm not comparing. And then he compares. Which is like, just saying that you're not going to do it, and then doing it, is not a defense. Then Ezra admits, finally, that the flags were lowered because of the unmarked graves that are being uncovered. And Ezra needs to point out that some of these schools were still operating when Pierre Trudeau was prime minister. And I'm like, yeah, because Pierre Trudeau sucks. <laughs> you know, like, you'll you'll find, no, like, we're, we're not here. We're not going to stand for Pierre Trudeau. It'll, it's so weird that they're, like, so unable to, like, comprehend that leftists don't like the liberals. I think, like, they're trying to get, like, a general gotcha to liberals, maybe, by saying that, like, the reason why Trudeau doesn't want to deal with this is because his dad might be complicit. And there might be something to say about that. It's just, like, also it doesn't matter, largely. Because, like, I, I don't think Trudeau, regardless of whether it's his father or not who might have some complicity... Trudeau also would not want to deal with this for the same reason he's fighting indigenous children in courts. Like, it it almost has nothing to do with his father's legacy, you know. Or if it does, it only plays one part of the giant picture of Trudeau's government being completely oblivious to that community and their concerns, you know. Yeah, like, they're... I don't know, like, I, it's the whole, like... They buy the conservatives buy into the like liberal photo ops as being one hundred percent reality and what they actually believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so it's so interesting that like the photo ops work on conservatives, but they don't seem to work on like literally anybody else. Right, because we see like what was it? it was like Trudeau took a knee at one of the uh, the grave sites and conservative media were, was freaking out about it he took a knee and put teddy bears on the crosses and also that they were fucking crosses like yeah i mean like we look at it as obviously as super cringy and insensitive and all this stuff but then they look at it as like trudeau's capitulating and making us look weak and ah! it's very weird the different reactions <laughs> yeah but then Ezra wants to then get into some of his denialist rhetoric about what happened at the re residential schools. So he says that they're unmarked graves. They're not mass graves, as if somehow that's a distinction. Those are unmarked graves, but they're not mass graves. They're graves of children who died across the decades at these boarding schools, these residential schools. I mean, I, I don't know how it's a distinction, but I guess like his point is that Mass graves imply, like, you executed a bunch of people and then just dumped them in this mass grave, where he's like, they were just unmarked. So it could have been people over a long period of time who just died of natural causes that were deposited in this grave. But again, we're dealing with children. These are the remains of children. It's similar in a way to the, um, the camps at the southern U.S. border with like the migrant children and stuff like that where it's like oh no like they're dirty and diseased and like they need to be like separated and blah 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 and it's like you know not to not to make a holocaust comparison but it's like one of those like 
Anne Frank didn't die from the gas chambers, she died of typhus. Like, the fact that there are children in camps that they cannot leave, regardless if they teach them or if they give them teddy bears and blankets or not, if they are dying of disease at a place that they are unable to leave and are separated from their families at, that is social murder. Like, that is... That is killing them. That is his next point, actually. According to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, half of these kids died from tuberculosis. A hundred years ago, life expectancy was much lower than it is now. Hygiene, food, health, medicine was poor, and these schools did not have proper resources. It was not good at all. But this is not 2021 news. The Truth and Reconciliation Committee full report went into the details of the the deaths of these schools at great length when they published their report in 2015. So why the cancellation of Canadian symbols now, six years later? Oh, hygiene wasn't great in the past. Dude, when the fuck do you think these schools were open? Like, they were open past the time when tuberculosis was like a major thing for the most part. Because that was a thing in like, I guess it was fairly common probably up until the development of antibiotics but like that's still like they operated for decades after the development of antibiotics and were still killing children then it's almost as if they were dying of neglect and like the fact that nobody like cared to see them survive rather than like oh no there's an outbreak of tuberculosis guess we gotta you know Make sure all these kids are as safe and well-fed and blah, 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 as they can be. It's it's genocide denial. It's what it is. It's 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 no yeah. different than Holocaust denial at this point, you know? Ezra then is like, why are we upset about this now? And he plays a clip of Harper, Stephen Harper, apologizing about the residential schools. And it's like, oh, yes, okay, Harper apologized. And therefore, everything was fixed. And, of course, uh, the discovery of all these unmarked graves don't matter because Stephen Harper apologized like 10 years ago. As as if like Ezra thinks. It's like all we need to do is have like a really good apology and all the problems will be solved. (sighs) Ezra then brings up the Bethune and Tommy Douglas statue again because of course he does. Uh, Like I don't really care. Tear it all down. And then Ezra starts playing whataboutism games going America was worse to indigenous people so I guess therefore Canada is fine. And then Ezra talks about how Canada helps slaves escaping America, so everything is fine. Don't worry, Canada is great. I don't think you'll prefer America's history with Aboriginal people. They, they have a whole history called the Indian Wars. You might want to learn about that. This is an actual mass grave at Wounded Knee in South Dakota. Don't read that story if you're hard of, if you have a soft constitution. I should tell you, Aboriginal people haven't fared much better anywhere in the Americas either. It's... If it's a slave history you're worried about, interested in, concerned about, know that Canada banned the slave trade well over 200 years ago. I wonder if he would call what happened to indigenous people in the U.S. a genocide. I assume not. Like, so why bring it up? He's just saying they were worse. Canada is so much better. Ezra then reflects on the old adage that it's easier to break something than to build it. Trouble is, as we rush to tear down so many things, 
We forget how hard it was to build them up in the first place. I sometimes think about how easy it is to, to break something like a light bulb compared to how hard it would be to make something like a light bulb and how many centuries and generations went into conceiving it and perfecting it. How hard was it to build a liberal democratic society like ours? Rule of law, high trust, honesty, hard work, property rights, safety, happiness, property, upward mobility, meritocracy. How hard? And, you know, there's a, that is a good adage, but only in terms of whether or not the thing that has been built is good or not. You could say it's, it's easier to break Nazi Germany than to build it, but maybe we shouldn't build it in the first place, you know? And maybe we should break it once it's built. Yeah, it's one of those, like, you build something on a shitty foundation and the solution is not to, like, add tiny repairs and bandages to try to, like, keep the structure standing. It's to take it down and rebuild it from the, like, foundations upwards type of thing. So then Ezra wants to, again... It's, it's a bit of a repeat to her, but we got, he blames Trudeau for the church burnings, uh, especially because he asked the Pope to apologize, apparently. Ezra again says that the children likely died of TB, and then says he isn't downplaying the deaths by saying that. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which was a seven-year, multi-million dollar enterprise that made a lot of lawyers and bureaucrats rich, I'm not sure if it helped ordinary Aboriginal people, it actually had a whole volume on the children of these residential schools and mentioned in great detail the nature of the deaths, the cause of the deaths, tuberculosis being the leading one. I believe that malnutrition and lack of resources and lack of medicine was a serious contributing factor to the tuberculosis deaths of these kids. I also know that 100 years ago, public health is not what it is today. I'm not downplaying the deaths of these children. I'm simply pointing out that it is not a shocking surprise in 2021. Just like him saying he's not comparing uh, it to the Holocaust and then brings up a Holocaust thing, he, in this instance, says that he's not downplaying it by downplaying it. So, Trudeau says the burning of the churches is not the way to go. And Ezra mocks this as not being uh, sufficient. Like, I guess Ezra wants Trudeau to, like, wage war against who's ever committing these arsons or something. I don't know. And then Ezra speculates what Trudeau would do if these were mosques or synagogues. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like he would do the exact same fucking thing. Like him showing up to London and going, racism is real. Ugh. They then play clips of indigenous people who are mad about the burnings. And this always annoys me. They, they do the same thing when it comes to the wet sweatin' and the pipelines because, of course, uh, no community is a monolith and you're going to find people... You're going to find conservative indigenous people, right? It is what it is. You're, I mean, you're also going to find, uh, in this instance, there's Roman Catholic indigenous people. So, Drea then compares this to Black Lives uh, Matter. So now he gets uh, Drea Humphreys on the show. And says that everyone thought the kneeling on Floyd's neck was wrong. Well, you know, I can't help but make the parallel to the Black Lives Matter riot. Uh, when the death of George Floyd happened, there was a vast majority, a consensus that, you know, having your knee on someone's neck for eight minutes is disgusting. It's shameful. We all thought it was wrong. And then yet 
instead of just moving forward with that, we start to see riots happening in Black-owned communities, Black businesses, Black houses being damaged. And I feel like that's what's happening here as well. But I want to point out that uh, Ezra downplayed that on his show as well. So not everyone thinks that it was wrong. It is also interesting that they get their only Black employee to come on to talk shit about BLM. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, that too. But then the riots happened and people turned uh, away from Black Lives Matter. Although I'm not sure that that happened. Considering all the riots and stuff uh, that did occur and the, the precinct that burned to the ground... I think largely Black Lives Matter was still supported for for a while. So, And then Ezra says that he's putting up $10,000 of his own money to find the arsonists. I think it's uh, atrocious what's happening. I don't know who's behind it. I want to let our viewers know that we've set up a very small website called findthearsonist.com. It's probably more than one person, frankly. But findthearsonist.com, and I've put up a $10,000 bounty for information leading to his arrest. And I'm not going to crowdfund that money. I'm not going to use rebel money for it. I'm just going to put up my own dough. I didn't tell my wife, Drea, before I decided to do that. So don't tell her I've done this. But I'm serious. I, uh... So a working class, Ezra Levant, just happens to have uh, $10,000 uh, floating around. And he's like, and I'm not going to tell my wife. <laughs> so he's hiding the fact from his wife that he's got this $10,000 that he's now putting it up uh, in case anyone wants to get any information on these arsonists. And I have to say that's pretty fucking dangerous for him to be doing. But uh, there it is. That's what he's doing. He's putting up a bounty on presumably indigenous people's like heads and also like i just i don't get this at all like one there's no fucking way this is illegal two like what is like how is he offering the money he's offering the money for information on them for like information and like is he vetting the information and like yeah can we send an email being like hey uh it was dave and like (laughs) get a nice little $10,000 check like uh it's not clear and my guess it's so poorly worded for the fact that he doesn't want to pay it out right it's just it's posturing it's him being like look look at me I'm so committed to us having to find out who these arsonists these evil arsonists are that I'm willing to put up $10,000 of my own money to find them because I'm Ezra and I'm so uh moral and upstanding and cool that i would do this you know but remember he's working class so ezra then again compares what's going on to the holocaust and calls it kristallnacht again the the burning of these churches and then of course uh says again that he's not comparing it to the holocaust it's just that it reminds him of kristallnacht i'm a jew myself as people know um but i feel like i mean i I think back Whenever I go to the Holocaust Museum in uh, Israel, there's a garden uh, called the for the righteous Gentiles. That's a phrase that's used for the Christians who saved Jews. Some yeah. of them saved just one. Some, like Oscar Schindler, saved a great number. And that always left a deep impression on me. And I'm not comparing the burning of eight churches to the Holocaust, but there is a parallel the demonization of churches 
first comes burning the buildings, then comes burning the people. I mean, there was a Kristallnacht in 1938, the night of the broken glass. And I feel like um, we need to stand up for Christians who are being persecuted. It's Sometimes we find it easier to do that when they're being persecuted in China or Iraq, but surely we should be just as vocal when it's happening in our own country. When things feel like they're the same thing, so much so that I have to bring it up more than once on my program, I'm not actually saying they're the same thing. They just feel like the same thing such that I have to keep bringing them up. You see what, you see what I'm getting at, Fiano? Like... It's not that they're the same, it's just that they're the same, you know? Yeah, of course. You know, <laughs> there's a paramilitary organization going door to door, asking your thoughts on the Virgin Mary, and if you think that she's cool, then they're rounding you up, they're taking your property, they're smashing your businesses. It's just like, what? in what world are these things like close to the same it it is a weird thing because do you think a lot of his audience even knows what crystal knocked is i bet they probably think that it's something to do with holocaust so maybe this is just like him subtly talking about like white genocide like i just don't yeah i don't know yeah it's it's just a vague like holocaust thing so it's bad. Yeah. People be like, yeah, it's bad. This is a Holocaust thing. So then we get to the last segment about all this bullshit. And this is Ezra reacting to what happened uh, on Canada Day. And I'm using Canada Day here just in reference of the day. Because I don't know, like, right now they, we don't have a replacement, right? So uh, <laughs> unless there's a replacement on the book, it's just easier to say that. Yes, cancel it, but this was on Canada Day that he's referring to. Of course, that, that's a massive mob, highly organized, with matching outfits, coming with ropes and tools in broad daylight, not the dead of night, in the full sight of a huge police force, just tying ropes to a statue of Queen Victoria right on the steps of the Manitoba legislature, just pulling it down. That, that's a crime, of course. And my favorite thing about this is the matching shirts is the fact that people were showing up wearing orange as in solidarity with the, uh, uh, the indigenous people mm -hmm. <laughs> for the Cancel Canada yeah. event. But somehow the fact that they were all wearing matching shirts is a problem for him. That's so dumb. It is very funny, though, that, like, they took down the statue of Queen Elizabeth and, like, that actually got a response from the UK being like, hey, don't take down statues of your queen. Like, what? It's kind of... It is interesting because it's like, she is separately our queen as well as your queen. It's not that she's just your queen and you still rule us. Like... I didn't make that connection until now, but like, I just thought it was funny that it got a reaction from the UK. I do just one more comment about the shirts thing too. Is I almost feel like what he's trying to make is like a brown shirt reference here or something like this. As if like the matching shirts is a sign of that, like it's a paramilitary group that's taking down these statues when it's just a bunch of families and friends who gathered for a Cancel Canada event who are, yeah. are all happy and in solidarity with the indigenous people that these fucking monarch statues toppled because f who, who the fuck cares? Fuck these people and what they did to this country. 
Ezra is then mad that the only person who was arrested was a counter-protester who was apparently tased, and I tried searching for any news on this and could not find it, so I don't know if it was made up, or I also don't know if this protester did something so egregious that he was tased, but, uh... Ezra mentions it. Ezra then says that people are victim-blaming the church for the arson. Here's what Calgary's police had to say, though. Officers are investigating vandalism in 10 churches. We must never forget residential schools are a part of our legacy that destroy the lives of so many Indigenous families. But vandalism like this only creates further division, fear, and destruction. So that's what you got. No sympathy or solidarity with the vandalized churches or their congregants, just a terse statement that they were vandalized, and then immediately pushing the narrative that the churches are to blame, the churches are evil, and come on, vandals, will you knock it off? Don't be so divisive, really. I mean, they, they, they hate to enforce the law here. They're so reluctant to enforce the law. Maybe they'll taser a priest who tries to put out a fire. But uh, just for appearance's sake, they, they have to say something about the vandalism. They're victim-blaming you imagine if 10 mosques had been vandalized in one day and the cops said, we're investigating and hey, everyone who's mad about Islamic terrorism, can you just cool it a bit? I actually think this is kind of true, <laughs> but in a good way. Because <laughs> they are victims of arson, but they are kind of responsible for the arson. You know what I mean? Yeah, like they are. They are responsible. But it's also just, like, that's not victim-blaming. That's, like, somebody responded to being a victim, you know? Well, yes. I mean, but that's, that's like, the, the differing layer. But I think what he's trying to conjure up is that this is, like, blaming a woman who was raped because of the clothes that she was wearing kind of thing. But, of course, like, they, they're against any, like anyone being a victim i guess like maybe arson is the line for them where like as soon as arson soon as anyone burns down a building that's when they start caring about victims because they care way more about property than they ever do about human beings and then he says so two good people can have a disagreement about about anything until you say that the conservative point of view is actually just racism and then you can condemn people you disagree with as just racist. You don't have to talk about issues anymore. And there's nothing worse in life these days than being called racist, even falsely. I mean, we're in there smoke this fire. So people will capitulate. And if they don't, well, obviously they're just racist. I think there's a couple. There's like a couple worse things. No, there's nothing. You, you tell me a worse thing. Let me think. Give me a couple seconds. Um... <laughs> See, you can't do it. No, you can't do it. It's not. Uh, it's not possible. <laughs> what these, if these people are so fucking fragile? They're so fragile. My God. What if somebody calls me a homophobe? Gotcha. Oh Just damn! <laughs> damn. <laughs> if somebody calls me sexist, you got him. You called him out. Uh, he. So then. So he. He. He moves from like the severe like. And I feel like he's prepping because he's like, people are going to call me a racist because he moves right from that to saying, one of the goals of Black Lives Matter, I want to call them BLM. I don't even want to use their full name because that's the opposite of what they do. BLM wants to defund the police. Well, how's that working out for the black community itself? Rich white suburbs can often afford private security. How's defunding police working out in 
Minneapolis or St. Louis or Chicago or Portland or Seattle. Fiano, have we defunded the police? <laughs> no. <laughs> Apparently we have. Who is we? <laughs> I don't know. The royal we? Everyone? Queen Elizabeth defunded police? Yeah. <laughs> and is it harming black neighborhoods? I mean, crime has gone up, but like within the last year but we also just went through a global pandemic and i don't think it's like endemic just to like specifically black neighborhoods i think they show the stats show that it's happening in neighborhoods with low income and why would it be that there's a higher incident of black people living in low income neighborhoods maybe that has to do with a history of racism in america and canada but also, we're not defunding police, so it has absolutely nothing to do with any uh, supposed defunding that's happening. So, yeah, I just love that because like their argument, like their argument was we needed to fund the police, or like if you defund the police, crime will go up. We never defunded the police; crime went up, and they were like, "See, we defunded the police. It was all bad, and we shouldn't have done the defunding." And it's like, but we never did it yet. So the reason why Ezra is talking about all the, this stuff having to do with. Uh, uh, being called racist and all this is because he thinks that Trudeau is creating what he's describing as a summer of hate and this is to increase the chances of re-election and distract from his mishandling of the pandemic I do find this kind of funny because for one he, he's aware that the mishandling of the pandemic is something that's going to appeal to most people or is going to be something that will like be real to most people even though I mean he his thinking that Trudeau mishandled anything was taking the pandemic seriously at all. Uh, <laughs> but the other part of it is like, there's the interesting rhetoric of the summer of hate, because that is something that Alex Jones does constantly, which is like this for like, uh, a a Alex keeps thinking that the summers are going to be uh, race wars. And so he keeps referring to them as like the summer of rage or the summer of hate. So interesting that he's borrowing that language. Yeah. That's a weird one. Ezra then whines that it wasn't the Proud Boys. By the way, who is doing all this? Who, who's burning the churches? Who's vandalizing the churches? Who's tearing down the statues? Is it that terrorist group, the Proud Boys? Were they listed as an official terrorist group? Yes, they were. Why? I don't quite know why exactly. I don't know what they've done in Canada ever that could be called terrifying. I, I don't think they've ever been charged with a crime as far as I've seen, but... It's a good way to look woke, banning the Proud Boys. So was it them who did this? Did the Proud Boys take down these statues and light these fires? No. Well, then who did? And I have to say, he's probably bringing them up because, again, he's he's associated with them. And though they have been linked to him for a very good reason, for the fact that he basically gave to the world their leader. Mm-hmm. But it also doesn't matter that it wasn't the Proud Boys who tore down the statues or set the fires, you know? Some fights are more just than other fights, you know? Actually, no. All things are the exact same. Ezra then brings up that it is fire season. And this is a point that I think I've made to you personally. I don't think we've said it on the show before. But it was like, I was concerned, given the uh, droughts and the extreme weather that we've had, that some of these arsons might uh, spark a forest fire, even though, to my knowledge and to anything right now, that hasn't been the case. But of course, Ezra's bringing this up because he wants to associate 
what happened to somehow being responsible for the burning of the town of uh, Lytton, BC, even though I will say that uh, this allows him to avoid the fact that he's been a climate denialist forever, so a town burning because it's just so hot because of climate change is something he doesn't even want to address or talking about. But then the other part of it too is that that community as well, as it was about to burn down, uh, delayed a response to warn the indigenous community that this fire was coming uh, because of course uh, saving the other residents of the town were way more important than saving the indigenous lives of that town, which is again symbolic of what is happening in our country. But also there's absolutely no evidence that a burning of a church is responsible for the burning down of that city. Yeah, and like given how widely talked about, widely like photographed and like discussed the destruction of Lytton and the like surrounding First Nations territory was if it had been anything to do with a church burning, it would have like that would be all we would ever be talking about. And as far as I'm aware, most of the evidence suggests that it was caused by the train tracks, uh, which is something that you brought up last time on the show. Yeah, I wasn't going to rehash the whole thing again because I think we talked about it on the last podcast, but something, something colonialism more to do with the burning down of Lytton than anything to do with anti-colonial retribution. And this might be something that we cover... Uh, in the next episode, I haven't uh, listened to the next week to know that it's coming up or not, but Ezra did go on Tucker Carlson and pro- promoted this on Tucker Carlson's show as being a possibility for why the town of Lytton burned down. So he is spreading this conspiracy not only to uh, his audience, but also to the audience of Tucker Carlson, which is one of the most watched uh, news programs, uh, news in quotes there, but most watched news programs in America, which is uh, rather depressing. First things first, uh, we've got a donation thing for um, Drop the Charges Hamilton, Ontario, because basically the city of Hamilton and the Hamilton Police Service are fucking horrible. And uh, organizers and attendees of a pro-Palestine rally and a defund the Hamilton Police Service action, which was demanding uh, increased funding to support unhoused people in Hamilton, uh, were issued multiple tickets by the city of Hamilton and faced fines of up to $100,000 and one potential year in prison. So they are funding... um, for lawyers, I believe, to try to fight these tickets in court and not uh, have to pay them or be in prison for basically, like, something that anti-maskers have been able to get away with week after week in Hamilton for a long, long time now. Um, So they're asking for a combined $30,000 to um, fund the fight to challenge these tickets. Uh, And currently on their fundraiser.com thing, they've raised uh, $12,500. So there's still 
quite a bit more that people that they uh, need so if you have spare money please send it their way and hopefully some wonderful activists won't have to pay absolutely insane fines or go to prison and then i have two articles to read uh, one is an opinion piece in Maclean's uh, by Alicia Elliott. It's called This Entire Country is Haunted. By ghosts! <laughs> well, yeah. Like, the just, like, tagline is, as we're seeing more and more every day, this entire country is a real-life Indian burial ground. One that criminals parading as teachers, religious leaders, and politicians took great care to cover up. And it's just kind of, like, going into... Alicia Elliott, who is an indigenous person, who I think might have been recently employed in town locally. Uh, I think she was like a writer in residence at Western. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I follow them already on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, like she's pretty well known. Um, But she goes into like touring a residential school and then making comparisons between that and like the kind of horror movie tropes that like are very common regarding like quote-unquote indian burial grounds and such uh and i just thought it was a good read and pretty much anything that talks about like haunting and hauntology and stuff like that i really enjoy so i thought i would share that one um and then the other one that is a bit lengthier is um Logistics, Counter Logistics, and the Communist Prospect uh, by Jasper Burns, published in um, the journal Endnotes. Fucking everything that Endnotes puts out is so good. I don't necessarily like directly agree with all of it because they're a little bit, a little bit bleak, a little bit angsty, I guess. Um, but this one is really good because it goes in and like. You know, even though I have, like, minor quibbles with some of their stuff, all of it is so fun and worth reading. Like, it's just so good. But uh, this one is going into, like, the weaknesses in global shipping and trade that have been so heavily, like, built into the modern capitalist system. And interestingly enough, like, this was written before COVID happened, and... uh, you know, COVID, and then also, even more recently, um, the Ever Given in the Suez Canal, uh, you know, had these massive disruptions to global shipping and global trade and the the ability of capital to function. And basically, the article is like going into a, like, bit of a history of logistics as an idea, because up until the 20th century, logistics was a purely uh, military thing like it was never applied to the economy it wasn't applied to like the functioning of society beyond like procuring supplies to feed and like you know arm your military forces and that kind of shifted in world war ii and post world war ii but um it gets into a little bit of that and then it goes on to talk about like disrupting that and we've seen how well a lot of that stuff can work in the past few years the big thing that comes to mind locally is 
the Shutdown Canada protests in uh, winter of 2020, when Indigenous people uh, protesting against the invasion of Wet'suwet'en territory blocked train tracks across the country and caused, like, billions of dollars of lost profits because this country is so reliant on very fragile infrastructures of trade that have to be flowing constantly in order to keep things running properly. Um, you could also see it more recently with the um, the ongoing like port blockades in uh, the West Coast where activists and port workers and dock workers and like a lot of people have been like blocking attempts by an Israeli ship to stop in it was originally supposed to stop in LA and then it moved up to um I think Portland and then Seattle and then like back down to Portland and like has just been trying to find places to dock because it has been blocked at every possible pursuit and it is blocked because it is an Israeli arms ship. Like, it is there to pick up an arms shipment or maybe to drop off an arms shipment from Israel and has been blocked for that purpose. Um, so this, the article just kind of gets into, like, the idea of counter-logistics and blocking the sort of, like, shipping routes that capitalism relies on in order to both damage capitalism and build local solidarities out of that. Uh, so it's a really good article. Highly recommend reading. Very fun. Yeah, that's what I got this week. And what I got is the outro. <laughs> <laughs> if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we are doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called imperial news. We also have a Discord set up, and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I also want to say we've been posting stuff on our uh, YouTube channel. I've been going through the back catalog and updating with all the uh, recent uh, Twitch streams that we've done so far. They're like uh, smaller chunks if you don't like watching an entire like three, two to three hour stream. Uh, so uh, go on there. And the comments have been uh, interesting. You know, been doing a lot of. Uh, coverage of the critical race theory uh, crap that's happening in the United States and sort of up here as well and so uh, you got a lot of defenders uh, of people who are against critical race theory popping up in my comment section but whatever we welcome them but if that kind of stuff interests you you can go check that out you can find all the links to uh, the YouTube and all that all our social media stuff it'll be found in the show notes and lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatom.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And South Park, you canceled. Or, like, you should be canceled. Like, I think they're on fucking season 23. Like, who still watches South Park? Other than David Menzies' kids. Albumia, Albumia, how lovely are your wheat fields.